0: 2 Samuel 4 is where we're going to pick up. But let me just summarize kind of where we've been a little bit, right? So, the David Abner conflict we looked at last week, right? After the death of Saul, we see Abner kind of want to remain in power. So, he props up a son of Saul named Ishboseth. And Ishboseth goes along with it, but Ishboseth isn't a great leader. He's uh, quite the coward, as we see in this last passage. And we'll see actually again. Uh, and so this kind of this this king who shouldn't be king and knows he shouldn't be king is being propped up by a military leader. And then Abner has it out with him over a woman, and they get in a fight. and then they kind of separate. And Abner joins with David, right? David welcomes him, even though he was quote unquote, an adversary. Uh, Abner would have said David was his enemy. David probably wouldn't have used that language, but Clearly, they were adversaries. They were on opposite sides of this kingdom conflict, if you will. Uh, And David welcomes Abner in. Now, not everybody gets the memo, and Joab, who lost his brother to Abner, murders him. And so you've got all the makings of a soap opera at this point, right? You have arguments and power and conflict and murder and just all these things. And remember these are all supposed to be the people of God, right? So modern day equivalent is the church, right? And what we see is things inside the people of God, inside those who profess to be people of faith, we see things inside of that that don't look a lot like our faith. Again, modern day equivalent, we see a lot of things today that the church does broadly that it shouldn't, right? acting in ways, speaking in ways, doing things that it shouldn't. And I say this neutrally, I say this across the board, and not just one side or the other, just true. Right? And so I want to give us kind of a starting point. As David becomes king today, here's what we see. As we see David take his rightful place over Israel, we're reminded of what a godly life looks like. David challenges us to live as Christ intends us to. Right? We should get a glimpse here of what God wants from us today. We see David welcome people in that have been adversarial to him, that have tried to kill him, right? When they, when they seek to join him, he allows for that. Now, I don't know what that looks like necessarily. Nobody's out to murder me that I know of right now, right? And so, but what, what are the things when, when people are on opposite sides of a conversation or political divisions or whatever it might be, how do we love them? How do we treat them? How do we welcome them? Right? Whether or not they switch teams, irrelevant. So how do we act the way God would have us to act? David leads his people that way, but not all of them follow. Right, Not everybody does what he would have them to do. So we're going to be in 2 Samuel 4 and a little bit of 5 today. Let's pray really quick, and we'll get started. Jesus, we love you. You are the word that became flesh. You speak to us. You lead us. You guide us. We are your church. So Jesus, would you speak today? Help me to get out of the way that you might speak. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Second Samuel 4, verse 1 says, When Ishbosheth, Saul's son, heard that Abner had died at Hebron, his courage failed, and all Israel was dismayed. So Ishbosheth Seth is propped up as king. He never really sought it out, but a military leader who wanted to remain in power when Saul died props him up as that king and now leaves him, and he really doesn't have the heart to be king. He's really not that strong. And so the people under him are shaken because he is failing as a leader. His courage is failing. And so the people, Israel, that he's still over, are a bit in disarray. Verse 2, now Saul's son had two men that were captains of raiding bands. The name of one was Bena, and the name of the other was Rechab. They're sons of Rimon, a man of Benjamin from Beeroth, For Beeroth is also counted a part of Benjamin. The Bearathites fled to Gittim and have been sojourners there to this day. So what we get is we're introduced to two guys that are mercenary kind of paid thug guys. We're going to see them in just a minute. Verse 4, Jonathan, the son of Saul, who had a son who was crippled in his feet. He was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel, and his nurse took him up and fled. And as she fled in her haste, she fell, and he became lame, and his name is Mephibosheth. So you remember back Saul is king, Saul's son Jonathan, and David are best friends. They are very close friends, and Jonathan even kind of, I would say betrays his dad, but honors God, honors David by kind of giving up his dad's plans to murder David. He does the right thing, so I hate to say betrays, it sounds like he's doing something wrong, but really goes and does the right thing even against his own father. So Jonathan has a son, and when Saul and Jonathan die, the thing we covered two, three weeks ago... When they die in war and the news gets back to the woman caring for Mephibosheth, she runs when she hears the news, falls, and he becomes crippled. And so this son we're going to pick up in just a few chapters. He'll become a part of the story. Verse 5. Now the sons of Rimmon the Beerothite Rechab and Baana, set out. And about the heat of the day, they came to the house at Ishwaseth, And he was taking his noonday rest. And he came into the midst of the house as if to get wheat And they stabbed him in the stomach. And then Rechab and Beanna, his brother, escaped. So here is the assassination of Ishbosheth. So the king over Israel, Saul's son, the one the commander Abner made king. Now these two guys that are kind of mercenary-ish guys go in and murder him as he's just trying to get his nap. Verse 7. And when they came into the house, he lay on his bed in the bedroom, and they struck him, and they put him to death and beheaded him. And they took his head and they went all the way to Ar- through of the Arabah all night and brought the head of Ishbosheth to David at Hebron. And they said to the king, here's the head of Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, your enemy who sought your life. The Lord has avenged my lord, the king on this day, on Saul and on his offspring. So instead of just killing him, they do that. They stab him and then they dismember him. And then they travel through the Arabah, which is the desert, the wilderness. They go through that all night. Uh, kind of putting out all this energy to go tell David, hey, we've avenged your enemy, the person that was opposed to you, we've killed him. Now, if this doesn't sound somewhat familiar, it should. We ran into less last week, right? And so people are trying to gain David's favor. And so modern day setting, people are willing to do lots of things that are wrong, Thinking that the ends justify the means. I want to gain the favor of somebody in power, so I'm going to do this. And, and, and today, oftentimes, people discount the way you get there, allow for wrong, if you agree with them, right? If you agree with them, then the way you speak to people you disagree with doesn't matter because, of course, you're right, right? And then flip the teams, and the same thing goes, right? And then it only doesn't, it, the, the way people act only matters when it's the other guys, Right? So that's kind of what's going on. They murder somebody, dismember him, behead him, and take this head through the desert all night to show up, and then they kind of make it spiritual. They, okay, so God has avenged you, obviously, by us, right? Who did you a favor? Clearly, we're the good guys, right? Verse 9, but David answered Rechab and Baanah, his brother, the sons of Rimon the Beerothite. As the Lord lives, who has redeemed my life out of every adversity, when one told me, Behold, Saul is dead, I thought he was bringing good news. I seized him and killed him at Ziklag, which was the reward I gave him for his news. How much more, when wicked men have killed a righteous man in his own house on his bed, shall I not require his blood at your hand and destroy you from the earth? These guys just don't learn, right? And so when a messenger comes and lies... And says, listen, because Saul and Jonathan get wounded in battle. Jonathan dies. Saul is there. He's still alive, but mortally wounded. He knows he's going to die. He doesn't want to die at the hands of an enemy. And so he asks his armor bearer to kill him. But his armor bearer can't do it. His armor bearer is like, I just, there's no way I can do this. And so Saul falls on his own sword, it says, and kills himself. He really doesn't want to die or be tortured at the hands of any enemy. So he, he takes his own life knowing he's going to die anyways. But somebody who sees this, interaction then goes and says listen I know what I'll do I'll go to David and I'll tell him I killed him I'll say I took him out and his son Jonathan and I avenged you David and David kills them says who are you to raise a hand to the Lord's anointed in other words the king of Israel who are you right modern day like who are you to take out the president like who makes you think you should do this like what gives you that idea that you should do this and that that's okay and David sees this neutrally. He sees this when, he is, when there are people that oppose him or people that are for him. He sees it either way because the rules for David are God's rules and they're clear and they're balanced and they're the same. And so no matter which team you are on, no matter what jersey you wear and what ideology you hold to, honoring God is honoring God. And so these men come and say, listen, so now we've taken out his son who really didn't do anything wrong, Right. Yes, he is kind of on the opposing team, if you will. Yes, Israel has become adversaries over with David and Judah, but Ishushet didn't do this. Abner primarily did that. And now Abner is with David, and these guys are just kind of paid thugs. Go in and murder him, dismember him, take his head to him, and think somehow this person that God has anointed king that will lead the people correctly, right? That this. That is the story in in, in Israel. In all of Israel, they know David seeks God. And that Saul didn't. And that God has said the kingdom will go to David instead of Saul's lineage. And so even though this is true, God will accomplish this. And even though this is true, this needs to be accomplished by God as well. If Saul's going to run out of family, that's on God. If David's going to take power, that's on God. David knows that. David waits patiently. He's king over one tribe right now out of 12 who have made him king, even though he's supposed to be king over everything, but he waits. So here's a a note for you. Gaining power through sin. Two brothers attempt to gain David's favor by murdering his quote-unquote enemy while he sleeps. David immediately puts them to death, seeing this as sinful and corrupt. Doesn't matter which team you're on, for David, doing right is doing right. Honoring God is honoring God, right? Verse 12. And David commanded his young men, and they killed him and cut off their hands and feet and hanged them beside the pool at Hebron. But they took the head of Ishbosheth and buried it in the tomb of Abner at Hebron. So David kind of goes a little bit mob boss on him, right? He does the same thing to them that they did, making the point like, listen, you do this, you pay the penalty, right? But then he even takes the head of Ishbosheth, which just, this is creepy. Okay, let's just admit it. It's kind of weird. Right, and then he buries the head of Ishbol Seth to honor Ishbol Seth. Right, so it's odd. It's an odd culture for sure. But he wants to honor the person who was done wrong. He wants to penalize or, or punish the person who did. He wants to honor the person who didn't do wrong. He wants to penalize the person who did wrong, and he wants to make it clear. Listen, I don't care which team you play for. I don't care which political party you vote for. I don't care which tribe you're a part of right now. I don't care if I'm your king or not your king. Do the right thing, like honor God with what you do. The Ten Commandments still stand, right? That what God has called us to hasn't changed no matter where you live. Right? Same thing today, it doesn't matter what color you are, what political party you are, what, what, whatever you are. Like what God has called us to, God has called us to. Right? We don't get to select and choose and think, oh, because I'm on the right team, no rules, right? 2 Samuel 5, verse one says this, and then all the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and said, Behold, we are your bone and flesh. I love this line. We are your bone and flesh. And so as David seeks to get rid of corruption in the nation, they make him king. So God's promise to David is fulfilled. Now, just kind of to make last week's point again, it didn't happen in David's timeline. It happened in God's timeline. And if you're human and you're walking through David's life, there are times clearly when you're wondering, like, when? Like, you said this was going to be, when? When will this be? I know for me, I, I would find myself in some of those settings impatient. Or even in those settings where David kind of creeps up on Saul and, and it seems like he has the opportunity. Well, he definitely has the opportunity to kill him, but he, he withholds himself. And listen, that's not my job. That's God's job. Sometimes those settings present themselves as if God is providing this for you, but they're still the wrong thing. And so as David tries to get rid of the corruption throughout Israel and honor God, he's ascended to the, to the throne of king. Now he's king. And he says, behold, the people come to him and they say, behold, we are your bone and flesh. I'm going to get back to this in a minute. But let's, let's start over verse one. Then all the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and said, behold, we are your bone and flesh. In times past, when Saul was king over us, it was you who led out. And brought in Israel and the Lord said to you you shall be my shepherd of my people Israel you shall be prince over Israel so here's what you have you you get this contrast and the people know what God is doing in the past even when Saul was king David you were the one that let us out you are the one that cared for us you're the one that God anointed as king Saul was king and he didn't do what God called him to do. And so he lost that right. His family's not on the throne. You're a rightful king. But the contrast Israel understands the contrast of the character of the two people. And again, if I could just back up Saul, David, Abner, Ishbosheth, all of them are supposed to be the people of God, right? Modern day church, right? Israel in the Old Testament is the parallel to God's people, the church today, right? The church fulfills national Israel. As the gospel goes global in the first century, it becomes that fulfillment of it. And so what we see here is these are supposed to be the people of God. These are supposed to live in such a way that they honor God. But within here, remember we start out with, you see lying, you see cheating, you see you know, fights over women, you see murder, you see all kinds of things inside the people of God. You just have to remember, we're not exempt, right? In fact, as far as scripture goes, we're it. Like, we're the ones to obey. We're not supposed to apply this to everybody outside the building, but to take this in and say, this is what God is calling us to change, right? The world needs to know Jesus. We need need to follow Jesus, right? So that we can show them Jesus. So verse 3, it says, So all the elders of Israel came to the king at Hebron. Now David, right? And King David made a covenant with them at Hebron before the Lord, and they anointed David king over Israel. David was 30 years old when he began to reign. He reigned 40 years. At Hebron, he reigned over Judah seven years and six months. And at Jerusalem, he reigned over all of Israel for 33 years, right? So consider this 17-year waiting period. He's roughly like 13. He's like a teenager as he's out there caring. He's a shepherd, right? 17 years go by. So longer than he had been alive did he wait to become king. So at 30, he becomes king, roughly a 17-year wait. But then he reigns as king for 40 years. right? By the end of a 40-year reign, the 17 years wasn't all that big of a deal, right? Like my life today, looking back at things I thought Man, I was so far behind, or I needed to do where everything seems so pressing back here. Now, many, many years later, you know, like with some perspective, it's okay. Right? So he was a young man. He hears that God anoints him king. He he goes through this, he knows it's not yet, he doesn't know when, and he's up waiting 17 years. And then he's king over just one tribe for seven and a half years. And then, king of Israel, all of Israel, unified Israel. 33 more years. When I think of this, I just think of his road to the throne, right? So we'll put this on the screen. God anointed David king many years before it happened. David's character, while he waited, made him unique. Our impatience is often when we struggle, right? We're waiting on something. Maybe God says, hey, we're doing this, or we're going here, or we want this, or, or we want out of COVID, or we want this, or whatever. And so in our impatience, we take things into our own hands, That's what the people did who killed the king, who did this, and killed his son, and and whatever. The impatience of waiting on God often causes us to compromise, to sin, to fail. It's David's character in that lengthy wait, 17 years waiting period, and then another seven and a half where he's king over only one tribe, consider that. But then the fulfillment of it, 33 years long, at the end of that, you're looking back and you're like, it was all worth it. It's like saving money today is hard, or waiting on something you really want is hard. But then you get there, you get on the other side of it, you do it right, and you're like, this was the right way to do it. Consider Jesus, right? The, the pathway to the throne for Jesus was tough too, right? So Jesus, God, creator, eternal, in order to rescue and save us, in order to be king of us today, has to then condescend to human flesh. Jesus must become human, and and not just show up as a human, but be born in a poor family who ends up on the run as they seek to kill all the children, and and go through all these things, and then really become that that kind of humble human being. and, And and go on, become a, a kind of an itinerant preacher and healer and, and do all that and live humbly and, and show us what it looks like, the, the calling that we've been given to live and honor God. Right? We are created by God, loved by God, designed by God. Our design is to be worshipers of God, Right? that our lives are to bring glory to God, but we've all fallen away from that. We've all chosen to bring glory to ourselves instead of to God. And ultimately that's what sin is, is I want what I want, not what God wants, and so I choose me, over God. And so because of sin, God had to come and rescue us. He could have just left us alone, let us run headlong into sin and and pay the penalty for that, but God loves us. So Jesus becomes flesh, lives this life, right? Doesn't just come and just like conquer and become king, but instead gives his life, is accused, is falsely condemned, is beaten, is crucified, and dies for us. And then three days later, resurrecting from the grave gives us new life, right? But consider his path to the throne that he's seated on today. The very, the very songs that we sing, the worship that we give, that Jesus is king. He's king of kings and Lord of lords, that he is our savior. But it's not because just who he is, but because of what he's done for us. Consider his road to that. And then we look at David's and his road is much easier. Right? In the gospel perspective, we understand how much it costs Jesus to accomplish anything for us, Right, that the grace that we live under, the mercy that we live under, the new life that we've been given, the, the spirit that fills us, that he gives us, is all costly to him, free to us, cost him everything, right? Dietrich Bonhoeffer coined that phrase, cheap grace, right? That we treat it cheaply because it costs us nothing, but it costs Christ everything, his road to the throne was fraught with, with, with wickedness and evil and suffering and then literal physical suffering and death. So when we look at this, we remind ourselves sometimes the journey towards what God is taking us to isn't designed as easy. The character along the road matters. It's Christ's sinlessness that make him our sacrifice. It's our character that give us a witness to the world, especially in the hard times. How easy is it to have good character when things are going well? It's in the suffering. It's in the tensions. It's in the virus. It's in those things that our character shine through. Verse 6, it says, And the king and his men went to Jerusalem against the Jebusites. And so let's pause here for a second. So David, Israel, the people of Israel are going to Jerusalem, which we confuse with, like, isn't Jerusalem part of Israel? Well, it was supposed to be. But the people of Israel had, t- had attacked Israel, which is, Jerusalem, which is a fortified, big fortified city. They actually attacked it twice and lost. And, and there's stories, you can read that in Joshua, you can read it in Judges. Right? They lose twice. It's been promised to them, but because of different issues, God hasn't given it to them. And so David ascends to the throne, becomes king, and begins to do the things that God is calling him to do. So he goes to Jerusalem, verse 6. And the king and his men went to Jerusalem against the Jebusites, the inhabitants of the land who said to David, you will not come in here, but the blind and the lame will ward you off, thinking David cannot come in here. So they talk a little trash as David march up, marches up, right? Like, we've beat you twice. Our lame and our blind can defend this city against you, right? And so as he marches closer, they're talking trash, right? Verse 7, nevertheless, David took the stronghold of Zion. That is kind of a mic drop moment in that. So David takes the city. You know, the thing we call the city of David. It's his, right? Verse 8. And David said on that day, whoever would strike the Jebusites, let him get up in the water shaft to attack the lame and the blind. Quote, unquote, the lame and the blind. Who are hated by David's soul, for therefore it is said, the blind and the lame shall not come into the house. And so there's trash talk on David's part, too, as he beats them. But what they do is they go up in through a water shaft. He has a different strategy. Obviously, God leads him a different direction. They attack it a different way, and they have victory over it. Right? And then, again, He says, he kind of gives what he gets a little bit in this, and he talks about, well, the blind and the lame won't be able to come into the house now, right? So here's a note for you. Here's what begins to happen. Unfulfilled promises from God remain. Israel had unfulfilled promises from God that are now being accomplished through David. The right leader and the right people are often what is missing, right? As God has made promises to his people, right, sometimes what's missing is us. Right leader, right people, right character, right motives, right thinking, and and none of that wins us a seat in heaven, right? We're talking about, in believers, people that are transformed by grace, that are given new life through the resurrection, that are filled with with Christ's spirit, with the Holy Spirit, right? That us, that we need to be different, that, that our faith isn't a belief system, it's a transformation, right? That we are changed in Christ. If you believe something, you will change how you act. It's our students in, at the school all the time, like, if I believe that the electricity, wherever there's a bunch of outlets up here, but if I believe that that electricity is dangerous, I'm going to be much more cautious when changing out an outlet. If I don't believe that, I'm going to act very differently. Right? Very recklessly. My belief changes how I live. It changes how I act. So we don't have behavior problems, we have belief problems. And if we believe something, it will change us. If we truly believe, not... Mentally accept there was a jesus and that easter is about him, but if we truly believe jesus is alive How can we go on living the same way? It will transform us it will change how we live The way god calls us to live once we believe truly with all our being that that's true We will begin to live to it. That doesn't mean that we'll become perfect overnight, we will struggle with it. We'll struggle with that balance of wanting to do what I want versus wanting to do what God calls me to. But then each time we make that decision, we'll learn, okay, you know what? God was right so far every time. And I was, by the way, that's a zero on my part. He's a hundred I'm a zero, right? You get that. My way's been wrong every time I've tried it too, just for the record. He's right again. Okay. It's really reinforced. Okay, do it God's way. It's kind of like that weight, right? As David waits for the throne this lengthy time, it was right. God's way was right. And his character, we'll say his character the modern day, his character in Christ shines through to all of Israel. They know it's God in David. Let the world know it's Jesus in us, not us, right? Verse 9, and David lived in the stronghold and called it the city of David, and David built the city all around from Milo inward, And David became greater and greater for the Lord, the God of hosts, was with him. So David and Israel grow. Just think all the way back. We taught through Exodus before this, right? We've been working our way through the whole Bible. Our community groups read through the first five books of the Bible. And we did Exodus on Sundays, right? Way back, Mount Sinai, Exodus 20, the covenant to Israel. I'm going to give you this land. And you're going to fill it. And you're going to push out all the people that are in it. And you, your job then is worship me, right? And so through, <laughs> through a lot of ups and downs and highs and lows, Israel doesn't really do their part of it. And so they slowly, at times, gain ground, sometimes even lose ground. And then now, as they finally got the right leader, one who loves God, one who gives his life to God, who does the right thing, even when it's hard, now they're beginning to get some of the right people, right? Not that they're not flawed, because they are. But now God is starting to fulfill what he's promised to them, right? Whatever God desires for generations, he will fulfill when we're in the right place, right? And I promise you, not beforehand, (laughs) right? As people have always said, it's a little cliche, but he's never early, but he's never late kind of thing, right? Like, sometimes it's us. Sometimes we're in the way. Verse 11, and Hiram the king of Tyre sent messengers. It's for you. No, I'm just kidding. You know, so, All right, I heard the phone. All right, and Hiram, king of Tyre, sent messengers to David and the cedar trees, also carpenters and masons who built David a house. And David knew that the Lord had established him king over Israel and that he exalted his kingdom for the sake of his people Israel. I want you to hear what David knows about himself. I'm just going to reread this. And Hiram, king of Tyre, sent messengers to David and cedar trees and also carpenters and masons who built David a house. And David knew that the Lord had established him king over Israel, and that he exalted his kingdom for the sake of his people Israel. David is known all over the place, not just among Israel, but everywhere. And so others are honoring him like, hey, something's going on here in Israel. David's the man, and he has a reputation. But here's what David knows. He doesn't take all this in and get all big-headed. He knows that God has exalted him for the sake of Of the people. He knows that he is to lead the people towards God. He understands his role in all of this. He understands that it's God's timing, not his own. He understands that you do the right thing even when you disagree with the person, right? That you treat them the same way, that you honor God in those. And it's not, you're not treating other people necessarily for their sake because you love them, although you should, we should, they should, right? Sometimes, let's admit we don't, or at least we don't like them, but we honor God in it. right? We treat them such a way because we honor God. David does this. He knows what his purpose is. He knows God has put him on the throne. He knows that his character matters among the world, not just in Israel, in the world. I know my character matters here, but it matters out there. Right? That that I can't do what God has called me to do unless my character matches that. And for sure, no one else wants to hear about Jesus if my life doesn't match. Right? Again, imperfect, flawed, but at least hopefully headed the right direction. Right? David understands his place in all this. So I want to go back, I want to read and we'll put it on the screen. This verse we said earlier. Then all the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and said, Behold, we are your bone and flesh. What a beautiful line the people come to David, their king, we are your bone and flesh. We're your body, right? That's what Jesus calls the church. In fact, Romans 12 says this, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. This is Paul's most common imagery for the church, right? In 1 Corinthians, he writes chapters about this, right? How we are one body with many members, right? He's talking about a local church, Not just a global church, but we don't just belong to some kind of amorphous thing that we can't really put a handle on, but we belong to a local body, right? That we are members of one another. We need one another, right? Things are only good right now when my feet and my heart and my lungs agree with my eyeballs and my mouth so the message can come out, right? It all works together. That's you and I. When we talk about this, I need you, you need me, right? We need each other. We're dependent upon one another churches throughout covid who didn't understand this crashed literally one in five churches closed lots of churches locally closed churches that figured out how can we be together even when we can't be together because we need one another and so videos going to have to work phones going to have to work whatever we can do is going to have to work because we need one another they, they either continued or thrived or whatever cuz we're a body the body of christ in the local church so What is our job? I'm going to close with three things. So right leaders, to be Christ's body in the world, Christians must view leadership differently, not as human power and authority, but as submission to Jesus who empowers us. Right? Exact opposite of what we do in politics. We, the church, Christians do in politics, right? It's not about power and authority. It's about submission to Jesus. It's about him empowering change in us. Right leaders, in order for us to be the body in the world, We've gotta start viewing leadership differently. We have gotta fix our eyes on Jesus, not on people. And then we've got to expect different things. Second one, right character. To be Christ's body in the world, Christians are called to be the right things, not just do the right things. We need character over accomplishment. But just, again, apply that to politics. We need character over accomplishment. It really doesn't apply to politics today, does it? Right, we need character. Not just, hey, what did I do, but who am I? We need to be the right people, not just show up and do the right things. Maybe doing the right things is a good start. We need to become the right people. And then the right people. I'm sorry, that's right character. right people. To be Christ's body in the world, Christians must be different than the world we live in. Christ's body looks like Christ, not like the rest of humanity. Like, we're called to look like Jesus. The way David stood out, not only in Israel... But around there, the king of Tyre sends us to him. He knows his character. We need to be distinct from the world. We need to be different from the world. We need to live differently. The gospel becomes the thing that transforms us. Believing in Jesus causes us to follow him. Again, belief is transformative, right? If you believe the fire is hot, you won't touch it. You don't believe it, you're likely to burn yourself, Right? You believe something is good for you. You're likely to do it, even the cost. You believe that eating healthier is good for you. You're going to do it even though cookies taste better. Because you need to be healthy, right? So of us learn that lesson later than others, clearly, right? But <laughs> belief changes us. Our belief in Christ needs to begin to transform our view of leadership, our character, and us that the world may know Jesus is alive. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. You were the king who took the hardest road to the throne. You, Jesus, went through the cross, through the scourging, through the humility, through the humanity. I think we lose that sometimes. You, the all-present everywhere throughout all of history, always, you became limited to flesh. You became one one person, one place at a time. You gave up the glory of heaven to become a human being. You gave everything for us. Your, your pathway to the throne is to remind us that our journey towards you on the throne is one of sacrifice, is one of transformation, is one that may not be a direct route, but it's your route for us as David waits those 17 years and then another seven and a half just being king over one tribe, we remember that as everything plays out, it's all worth it. But we know that in the moment, sometimes we fall short of that. Help us to have a different view of leadership, Lord. Help us to, to take seriously what we learn about David and why he is honored. He's not the hero of the story, God. Jesus, you are the hero of the story but he gives humanity to this story for us that we might be able to see it and challenge ourselves with it. Let us have transformed character. Let us become transformed people with a witness to the watching world around us. Jesus, you are king. It's you that we worship. It's your name we pray.